y'all would come back in, please have a seat. We'll get, uh, get our service started. That's okay, I'll just talk to myself. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so, uh, again, welcome to Calvary Chapel. I'm Pastor Scott. Some of you I haven't met. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, <laughs> here we go. Daniel, you're going to have to sit down, my friend, because <laughs> you're just like a, a magnet. <laughs> A friend magnet. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, welcome again. Uh, we're going to have some food afterwards, uh, sandwiches and pizza, so please hang around and enjoy together. Uh, we also have um, Spike Ball is back in the house, Thomas, and uh, Cornhole. We can get that set up, and there's picnic tables outside. Uh, hang around as long as you need to or want to. I know it's finals week and there's, maybe you can't. Uh, if you can't, that's fine. Make a sandwich and go. It's okay. Uh, we'll also set up inside here if uh, for uh, tables. Uh, Mike Suey will kind of be leading the way on that. There he is. Mike, uh, what we typically do is just stack chairs to the walls, bring in some tables, move chairs back around and by the time we get that done, food is set up and, and we're ready to go. So just lunch meats, sandwiches, super easy. We've got a cake, and uh, that's what we'll do. So uh, this morning, <laughs> baptism. <Woo>! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about uh, what it means. Baptism is symbolic of uh, somebody who has gone from death to life. Amen? Uh, it's the end of, I like to call it a change of administration, where uh, I'm no longer running my life, Jesus Christ is. Right? So that's what this water in this little kiddie pool represents. It represents a grave. It represents... Uh, the death and burial of Jesus Christ, and a Christian who has identified with Christ by faith, uh, you know, they symbolize going into the grave with Christ because he died for their sin, was buried, and then raised again for their justification. So that's what it's, it represents. It's the end of an old way of life and the start of a new kind of life. It's an outward and visible demonstration of an inward and visible reality, an inward and invisible reality. We'll talk about that today. Again, it's an outward and visible demonstration of an inward and invisible reality. Okay? Throughout the New Testament, baptism always follows repentance and faith. When you read the book of Acts, right, you see even at Peter preaching the very first sermon in the church, people were called to repentance and then baptism would follow, all right? Um, as far as 
the best method for baptism. Again, uh, following what the scriptures reveal, really beginning with John the Baptist, uh, it would indicate that it was a full immersion in water. It was a completely soaked in the waters of baptism. Um, Colossians 2, verse 12, Romans 6, 3, and 4. Uh, there's Colossians 2, buried with him in baptism. Right? Again, so going under the water is identifying with the death and burial of Jesus, uh, in which also you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, <clears throat> who raised him from the dead. Romans 6, 3 and 4, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, right? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So a full submersion seems to be the way, and it uh, might seem like a no-brainer to you, but there's a lot of unnecessary division in the Christian church because of the meaning and the method of baptism. All right, so I'm just following what the scripture says. This is how it goes. Um, I have a question just to begin, and then we'll get into a, a Bible text this morning. But um, if salvation is by faith alone, and you're justified by faith alone, then why get baptized? In other words, if I'm going to go to heaven based on my response to the gospel by faith, then why should I get baptized? Now, obviously, there is the, the one example that we know of is the thief on the cross who never had the opportunity for baptism, but he clearly had a saving faith right on his death cross, deathbed, right? But for us, um, if baptism is not required to go to heaven, if a new life is given by believing, then again, why get baptized? Two reasons, very simple. Jesus did it. Jesus commanded it. So I just say that because I think there are a number of people in the body of Christ who are truly born again, have the Spirit of God living in them, and they're Christian. They identify with Christ 100%, but have not been baptized. Now, why is that? Maybe because it's embarrassing. You're going to be in front of a bunch of people. It's going to be live stream. Everybody's going to go, oh, my gosh. You, know, it's, it's, you feel the pressure of that. Well, Jesus did it. In other words, he got baptized, and we can talk about why, but that's a great conversation. Talk about embarrassing for the pure, spotless, blameless Lamb of God to step into the waters that represented cleansing from sin. He had no sin, and yet he would step into those waters and identify with us in our sinfulness. And yes, someone was watching God was watching, and he recognized Jesus as he came up out of the water, and he spoke to him, and he spoke to everybody and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus did it. He also commanded it. As we read in Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we do it out of obedience. Just as much as Jesus said, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you. We are to obey our Savior, our Shepherd, our Lord, and demonstrate our discipleship through obedience. Okay? 
So I just encourage you, brothers and sisters, to take that step of faith. Is it, can, does it have a bearing on whether you go to heaven? No. But there's always blessing in obeying. Amen? Amen. There's always blessing. And so I just encourage you to, to get baptized if you have not. Um, so with that, uh, I'd like to turn to Luke 15, and we'll read some scripture this morning, that uh, famous story that Jesus told about the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of a man who came to faith in God, okay, and became, what shall we say, a Christian. And the reason I'm reading this is, as we mentioned, baptism is symbolic of an of an invisible internal reality. An invisible but reality internally. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal, sort of puts flesh and bone on this reality. It's probably the most relatable parable that Jesus ever told because it's just the story of mankind and our journey back to God and to saving faith. So Luke 15, let's begin at verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. (laughs) All right, so uh, who are sinners? Why are they separated and identified as different from tax collectors? Well, tax collectors were Jewish people who had betrayed their people and went to work for the Roman government and started collecting taxes from their own people, which, for a lot of reasons, became despicable to their fellow Jews. So they felt betrayed. So they were, they were the bad guys. But they're separated out from the sinners. Now, who are the sinners? They're just your everyday, run-of-the-mill people like you and me <laughs> that, were, that would lie, and they'd steal, and they'd fornicate, and they'd just do bad stuff. And they were recognized by the people in the community as bad people. They went to Jesus. I want you to notice that. They drew near to him. They drew near to him. Evidently, they realized there was an acceptance that they, Jesus wouldn't kick them out. He accepted them. Well, then along comes the Pharisees and scribes. These are the self-righteous, proud hypocrites, very religious. And they complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, to eat with a, with a fellow brother was more than just sharing a meal. You're sharing life. And we've talked about this before, but in that culture, there was this aspect of you you would share one loaf of bread and you would dip communally into the the bowl right and you would double dip and triple dip and your friend would be doing such across the table and by the time you got done eating you've all eaten each other's spit and so you shared life which was crazy to the pharisees he's like how can you do this this man who claims to be son of god So they were really, really bugged by this. Isn't it interesting? They said that right out loud in front of the tax collectors and the sinners. They were heard, and because Jesus said in verse 3, so he spoke this parable to them. When they 
complain that Jesus had received these people, that he's eating with them. Everybody in the room heard it. So Jesus responds. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 11 because that's the story that I'd like to focus on this morning. It says in verse 11, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal means wasteful. It means extravagant. It means money slips through your fingers very, very easily. It means you, your credit card gets warm because you're swiping it so often, tapping it, whatever. You're spending liberally, lavishly, extravagantly. All right? As often has been said, I think this story is mostly about the prodigal God. Not in that he drifted away and was wasteful, but that he's extravagant. So let me tell you right up front, and I think most of you are familiar with this story, that the, the key player in this whole story is the father, who is representative of God. The key player in this story is the father, who is representative of Almighty God. And Jesus, who is God, is explaining to us the heart and the character of God. He's answering the question, why do you eat with sinners? He's answering that question. Spoiler, because God loves sinners. And because he sent Jesus to die for their sins so they can have a relationship with God and go to heaven and live together forever and ever and ever, world without end. I love it when we get some reaction in the room, don't you? <laughs> Thank you, sister. So I'm just going to read through this and then talk about uh, for a few minutes. So where were we? Verse 13. Wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And as he began to be in want, and he began to be in want, then he went, joined himself to a citizen of that country, and sent him into his fields to feed swine. Okay, presumably he's a Jewish boy, and he's now living among pigs. And as you know, uh, pigs are unclean animals to Jews. It's, it's outside of their kosher law. So we have gone from uh, living with the Father to living with pigs. Jesus is telling this story to the scribes and Pharisees. Keep that in mind. And he's answering their question. So at this point, I'm, I'm guessing that this story, which is very, it's so easy to embrace, right? It's just human life. And I'm guessing these Pharisees and scribes are going, oh my God, that's the, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. Joined himself to a Gentile and then started working for him, feeding pigs, Verse 16, I'll go on. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me like one of your hired servants. That's a prepared speech. <laughs> okay. Edith and Daniel are going to come up today, and they have prepared some thoughts, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> uh, and they will and they'll use their own words to tell their story of how they came to God. That's what this young man is doing. Verse 20. Well, sorry, did I drop stop at verse 18, verse 19 and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry my son was dead and now he's alive Jesus is saying this the son is saying this and I think there's a double meaning very important double meaning. He's telling the story. The father, who is representative of God, recognized that his son, this prodigal, had gone off and wasted his life. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. But now he's alive. And I think the other side of the meaning there is very clear. Jesus is saying... I will be dead, and I will live again. And I will give you life, and life more abundantly. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. Of course he was. That's what scribes and Pharisees do. They work all the time. Because it's totally dependent on them to be good. That's how they establish and maintain their their favor with God. It's because that's what they do. So this older son clearly is representing these scribes and Pharisees. Jesus looking them squarely in the eye. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out, <laughs> and he pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you nev never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes, Really? How do you know that? <laughs> Maybe he's revealing a little something about himself. Never said that about the younger boy. Could be. Anyway, he says, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It's exactly how I'm guessing how the father did that. You just, you can't help yourself. All that I have is yours. Remember that vision, Pharisees and scribes. All that I have is yours. The son will die and live again, and he will give you all that he has, his righteousness and life. Final verse, it was right that we should make Mary and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So just a couple thoughts as I go through this story, which is so compelling, so relatable. It says, the younger of them said to his father, back in verse 12, Father, give me. Notice that. Father, give me. Isn't that interesting? The father is the one who gave him life in the first place, but now he wants the livelihood. He wants the inheritance before dad has even passed. Actually, not that unusual in that culture. So he goes, I know you gave me life, Father God, and everything that has been provided for me to keep me alive, I just want it all. Give it to me. Give me the portions of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Interesting. The father respected the free will of the son knowing that it was a foolish and it would have a terrible end. Isn't that interesting? Father God respects the will of the human nature, of, our, of humans. And the son is doing this in direct rebellion to his father. Everybody in the room knows that. Verse 13 is very interesting. Not many days after, the younger son, notice this, the adjectives Jesus uses, gathered all together. He cleaned out his room. He packed his bags. He did, but apparently he was turning his back on his father. He's like, I'm leaving and I ain't ever coming home. You, God, are dead to me. In other words, okay? Father, I'm leaving. And he journeyed to a far country. Isn't that interesting? I think Jesus there, when he uses far country, he's emphasizing the effect of rejecting God. Look, you can leave the farm, or you can go far away from God and never leave the farm, which is evident in the older son, right? He comes back, and right, we read it together. He comes back to the house. He's like, doesn't understand. He's angry, all this bitterness. He doesn't really know God. But he was very far away from God, just as those Pharisees and scribes were. Religion will not give you relationship. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Repenting and believing in Christ makes someone a Christian. And that's where relationship begins. That's where new life begins. You go from death to life. And so this son, like so many have done, they've gathered all together because they got a little bit of an education, they got some philosophy, and now they realize God's dead. And so I'm going to do my own thing. And in the process, they end up far away. How'd that go? Didn't go well, did it? (laughs) Right? It says in verse uh, 14... When he had spent all, and I'm guessing he had a good time. Been there, done that, brothers and sisters, okay? It's so relatable to me. As I've said before, 
you know, came to the end of my high school days, and I just could not wait to get out from underneath the confines, confines and authority of my home. And so I enlisted in the military, and I took advantage of all the free living conditions that they had, which gave me a whole lot of disposable income, which I just wasted prodigally, <laughs> right? To the point you start borrowing because I developed habits. And then when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine. I just find that remarkable that Jesus would say that. And, it, and immediately I thought, it's just, it sounds so much like when Jesus got in the boat with his disciples and it says there arose a great storm. And you know the story. In that storm, it really, yes, it was a literal windstorm and the boat was filling with waves, but the storm was in their heart. And the disciples were afraid they were going to die because Jesus is sleeping and they don't understand. And I think that famine indicates, yeah, it was a famine. Rain stopped, stuff didn't grow, shelves emptied, I'm hungry. It was more than that. It was spiritual. It was an internal reality. I'm starved. I'm hungering and thirsting for love. And I can't find it. I've looked for it in all the wrong places. He'd spent all there arose a great famine in that land. He began to be in want. Then he went, joined himself to a citizen of that country, sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. Inter interesting. It says stomach. Do you know, brothers and sisters, it's the exact same word that refers to your heart, your innermost being. That's what that word means. When Jesus said in John 7, which we preached last week, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He who keeps believing in me, as the scripture has said, from his stomach, from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. It's the same word. Brothers and sisters, this man has come, he is broken, he is bankrupt, he's mournful, and he's hungering and thirsting. For righteousness. And then it says he came to himself. Interesting. What does he think of when he finds him, when he gets to the bottom, the end of his rope? What's he think of? The goodness of God, which leads a man to repentance. That's Romans 2, verse 4. It is the goodness of God that leads someone to repentance. And from that place, this son thought, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? And then he prepared his little speech. And of course, verse 20, he arose, came to his father. But he was still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Aren't you glad that the father... Did you know God runs? <laughs> The father who's representative of God. He ran to the son. Maybe he ran to the son before the older brother could get to him. Can you imagine if that self-righteous, proud hypocrite had gotten caught the, old, the younger son walking back home? Would have ruined his life with religion. No grace. No grace, no mercy, 
but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved you, has made us alive together in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That's what Jesus is preaching to us today. And that's what's happened in Edith's heart, and that's what happened in Daniel's heart, where they came to themselves and they said, I need God. And then the father could see the change in the heart. He didn't even, the son didn't even have to speak. He ran to him and he just poured out amazing love all over him. And of course, the son goes through his little routine. Father, I have sinned. And, uh, right? and the father just says, he said to his, the father didn't even hear him. He didn't even respond to the son. Isn't that interesting? Verse 22, the father said to him, he didn't even reply. What is Jesus saying here? He's emphasizing that, man, when you have repented and you've turned away from your own life, your old life, then the father just lavish, he's prodigal toward you. He's, and then he just bring out the best robe and the ring. He adopts him. He adopts him. He makes him his son. Biblically, you see it throughout the Bible. Slaves went shoeless. Sons wore sandals. He put shoes on his feet. The boy came home. He stinks. His clothes are torn. It's a horrible situation. And the father just covered over all of that with a best robe. Put a ring on his hand. Identification. Adoption. Put shoes on his feet. You are my son because of your repentance. What's repentance? Change of mind and a change of course. The son came to the end of himself, but my friends, he also got up out of that pigsty and made a change of course. He went back to the father. He put, shoe, he put faith on his feet, demonstrating he had actually come back. And the father knew the change of heart. It's an inward and invisible reality, the Christian faith. I don't know if you're a Christian today, but I know that the lo God loves you. And I know that his word, Jesus' word right now, is calling out to you. And he's saying, look, you don't have to get up on your feet. You just need to come to the end of yourself and say, I need help. I need love. I need forgiveness for my self-will. For my immorality, it has offended God. It has disgraced the one who gave me life and livelihood. And just a simple turn. And by faith, you go to Christ and you say, forgive me. He'll rush in. He'll rush in in a moment. And you will experience new life, dead to life. And the son said, Father, I've sinned. And the father didn't even respond to the son. He said, bring the fatted calf. My son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. Isn't that interesting? The son went from give me to make me. <laughs> God wants to make you more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which is 
compassionate and kind and receptive of your fellow men because you've gone to God the Father first. You love God and then you love others. Which is obvious what that older son's in the story, which is Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, right? They evidently, they were far away from him, caught, stuck in their own self-righteousness. So where are you today? Maybe you're a Christian. Look, it's so easy to become a Pharisee. (laughs) Just over the course of time, you drift into this, I'm okay, And you start little compromises come along. But I'm okay. Well, you you have eternal life. But we're not glorifying God. And you find yourself to a point where you're far away from Him. And the Father's calling you back today. So just repent. Name it and claim it. Yep, I do that on a regular basis. And it's not right. And so, Lord, I confess that to you. I ask you to cleanse me and to forgive me. I identify with your death and your resurrection. Restore me to a right relationship this morning. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, fun time. Come on up, Edith. Ladies and gentlemen, Edith Smallfuss. <laughs> Edith has a, uh, a prepared speech that she is going to give, uh, telling her little story. You coming up or what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Edith will just say a few words, and uh, then Daniel will share. And, uh, and then we'll baptize them. All right, by the way, after we're finished, then again, just if you would, pick up your belongings. We'll move the chairs to the side, set up tables, and uh, we'll eat together. All right? So there she is. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's see. You want to use this? Here, you've got to hold this so people can hear you. Hi, my name is Edith. I'm 18 years old. I love God. He loves me. I will go with him. When I, when I was not in love with God, I wanted to kill myself a year ago, and I found him like a year ago. Um, I talked to him. He talks to me a lot of times. When I, di- I will go with him until I die. God saved me from a bad life I had when I was growing up. Um, I asked him to save me a year ago. (laughs) (laughs) So, Edith, um, where did you hear about Jesus? My um, foster mom, um, Olivia and Andrew. Awesome. So, uh, what was it? Maybe a month or more ago, a couple months ago, you had said you wanted to get baptized. And uh, I said, all right, well, let's have a conversation. So, do you remember that? We went back into the Sunday school room. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you were a little nervous. Yes. All right. 
but uh, I ask you two questions. First one, I said, Edith, are you gonna, what happens when you die? What'd you say? Go to heaven. I said, and then the second question, I said, all right, Edith, why would God let you into his heaven? Because I, I asked him to forgive me. Amen. That's a testimony right there. That is death to life for Edith Schmalfus. Thank you, Edith. You're good. You can have a seat, and then I'll call you back up. Daniel. All right. I'm Daniel. Hello. I've been coming to Calvary for two to three years now, and I'm very excited to be baptized today and share my testimony. I was raised in a Christian household. Uh, I was fortunate to have two very loving parents who are here today. And it was your typical Christian upbringing. I knew about God. I knew about Jesus. I, uh, I knew he died on the cross for my sins. And I even knew all the Bible stories because my dad would read them to me at night. Although it wasn't until much later I realized the Old Testament was very violent because he would skip over those stories. <laughs> and I'd say at this point in my life, I, uh, I, I was a believer in that I believed what my parents told me about Christianity. But I didn't really fully understand. And all that changed end of middle school, beginning of high school. I, um, they changed because of a girl that I was dating that my mom very strongly disapproved of. <laughs> uh, growing up, I had two best friends, Max and Sophie. And I knew for a long time that Sophie liked me. And I really liked her. And so, you know, end of middle school comes, and I'm like, I'm going to high school. I'm an adult. I can do what I want. <laughs> and so I asked Sophie out. And it was amazing for about 48 hours. <laughs> and then my mom found out. <laughs> And it led to a lot of conflict. Um, I remember coming home from high school every day for months, and we'd argue about it. And we'd get into yelling matches and the screaming matches. And I'm not a screamer or a yeller. You can ask my roommates. I, I'm not loud. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. And it got to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore, and I decided I needed to break up with Sophie. And so I did. But I decided if I was going to break up with Sophie, I was going to make my mom pay for it. And I knew the best way to hurt my mom would be to stop believing in the things she cared the most about, which was God. And so I stopped. I stopped going to church, stopped reading the Bible, believing in God, going to youth group. And I also stopped talking to my mom. I remember for about a year, I would just ignore her. And I'd come home from school, and she'd ask me how I was, and nothing. I wouldn't say anything to her, and I heard her very deeply. And it changed my life um, for the worse. Sorry, I want to not look at my mom because I'm tearing up. <laughs> um, it hurt me spiritually, emotionally, even physically. During this time of my life, I was severely depressed. I had no will to do anything. I didn't find any purpose in anything. I was just generally very unhappy, and 
it was just really bad. And so this is the person I, I was when I came to Cornell. And I knew as a freshman that something needed to change in my life, and so I started going to church again. Sorry, Mom, I can't look at you. <laughs> <laughs> at church, um, and also at my Christian fellowship crew, uh, I encountered people who, <laughs> who lived a different life, who had something that I had not experienced in a very long time, who had a joy that was, just, was missing from, from my life. And if you know me, I'm kind of a person of extremes. I'm all in or I'm all out. I'm also kind of a workaholic, although Jonathan Moon gave me a run for my money this, this <laughs> semester. <laughs> and I decided that if I wanted to pursue God and learn more about what it meant to be a Christian and find this joy that other people had, I could not do it here at Cornell because I was just going to focus on academics. And so I had to physically remove myself from Cornell, and I took a leave of absence. And I applied to a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Um, and I told them, hey, I'm an atheist, because I don't really believe in God right now, but I'm very curious, will you let me join? And they did. And I went to go do a DTS, which is a discipleship training school. Uh, it's a five-month program where for the first three months, you, you learn about the nature and character of God. And it was during that time I really struggled with the Lord. Um, I was listening to lecturers come in, talk about God. I was discussing with my roommates, my cohort, and um, re started reading the Bible again. And so during this time, I, my heart started to soften, but I still would not accept God into my life. I don't know why, but, well, I know now, but at the time, I didn't, I didn't know why. I was holding on to something that would just not let me believe. A detail I left out is when I left to go do YWAM, I remember my parents driving me to the airport. And... My mom, teary-eyed, handed me a letter. I didn't open it, and I didn't open it for months. And I didn't open any of the letters that she mailed me over the, the coming months. And finally, on my, I think, 19th or 20th birthday, I went into the woods next to where I was living with the letters that my mom had sent me and the Bible. And I finally read them. And I don't remember what all the letters said, but I distinctly rem remember reading one of them. And it started off like this. Daniel, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. But if nothing else, please forgive God. And that broke me. Um, I finally realized all the hurt that I had put my mom through. All the pain that I had thrown at her, all the hatred. And I finally realized that the reason I wasn't accepting God into my life was because of pride. I didn't want my mom to be right. I really, at this time, hated her. And it finally clicked that I was holding on to this resentment and bitterness and letting it fester in my heart. And finally, at long last, I was able to remove it from myself and make this face in my heart to accept God into my life. And that's what I did right there and then, in that moment, through tears, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And right after, I wrote two letters, one to God, asking for his forgiveness, because my mom should not be asking forgiveness. I should be the one asking forgiveness for her forgiveness and for the Lord's. And so I wrote her a letter and God a letter. And in that moment, my life was instantly changed. And I had that change in my inner reality. And I'm very excited today to be baptized and demonstrate it, reflect that change in inner reality uh, here today. Yeah. yeah. Thank you.
I've never seen you cry before, Daniel. 